Um, I think one of the first things we were thinking about is because of the process of um, cold pressing our juice, we do have a ton of pulp and, and powder. And besides selling it, that as a product, I think um, I'm just like putting this out in the universe. Maybe it, it will happen, like get some collaborators on this. Um, but doing like a Skagit uh, pancake mix. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to episode 152 of the Commando Voice. Today I speak with one of the owners of Bow Hill Blueberries. Please welcome Audrey Matheson. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. Uh, how's your guys' week going? I hope it's going well. Uh, we've got another, uh, had a pretty nice week, uh, pretty. Uh, got to go to the fair this last week. Um, but th- as this is being recorded, this is the, uh, of course, the Camino voice. Uh, I did not go to the Sandwich Camino fair as I probably should have. I went to the Skagit fair. Um, what's, what's funny about the Skagit fair, it's surprising that it's actually smaller, at least it feels smaller, than the Sandwich Camino Fair. Um, and, and Skagit is definitely a much larger area uh, and larger population than Sandwich Camino. Haven't fact-checked that, but it definitely seems like it. Anyways, it's just kind of funny that that fair is so much smaller. Um, so, um, I guess that's a shout-out to the Sandwich Camino Fair. Good job at what you're doing. Skagit Fair was fun. Had fun with the kiddos. Um, but uh, that was that. Um, and then in other news, um, most of you have probably heard already um, about what's going on with the Stanwood uh, Chamber and how it was closed. it's been closed down. Um, which the only reason I bring that up right now is I actually had interviewed Cassie Merritt. That was what today's episode was supposed to be. Um, obviously, with the closing of the chamber, that episode kind of became moot and point. And so now I have a locked up episode that will never see the light of day. Um, which I am bummed about. It was a great episode. It was fun to talk with Cassie. She's a fantastic person. Um, and um, she just had, um, yeah, she had a lot of excitement and energy and passion for what was going to be happening with the Stanwood Chamber. So, um, uh, yeah, um, just feel bad for the Chamber and kind of what happened there. Um, but we hope that, you know, in the future they'll be able to rebuild and, and uh kind of start over, turn over a new leaf, as it were. So, anyways, um, but Commando Chamber is still here, um, so, and I'm on that board, so if anyone is interested in joining, uh, you can go to the Commando Chamber website. I'm now being a commercial for the Commando Chamber, so you're welcome. Um, all right, and jumping into this episode. Um, real quick, I just wanted to note, I did say at the beginning of the episode, I introduced Audrey as the founder of Bow Hill Blueberries. That was incorrect. Uh, she is not one of the founders, but she is one of the owners of Bow Hill Blueberry. Uh, so you will hear that in the intro as I introduce her on the podcast and just know that I was off on that. But she is one of the owners. Her and her brother own uh, Bow Hill Blueberries and their families run it now. And... Um, so we get into her background and her brother's background, and I thought what was really cool about talking with her and just hearing, and you just hear it throughout the entire podcast, and you'll be able to kind of listen in on this, um, is just her relationship with her brother. Just uh, throughout their life, they just continually kind of cross paths and always are checking in with each other and always, you know, they like being around each other. Um, I just, I think it's really cool. You know, I'm part of a family business to some degree. I mean, we're technically not, Come in on coffee and the marketplace are technically two separate companies, but we operate as sister companies. Um, and of course, my sister and brother-in-law own Come in on Coffee Roasters, while my wife and I own this one. Um, so I just love seeing successful family-run businesses out there, um, <laughs> and businesses where like they run a business together and then they still like each other at the end of the day. So, uh, which is which is the case for me as well. So don't be spreading rumors out there. But um, anyways. 
uh, I thought that was so awesome as we we're listening, as I was interviewing her, just the continual conversations that her and her brother would have. And then finally it culminating in being able to partner on a business like this. So, um, and of course you see Bowhill blueberry everywhere. I mean, they're in our ice cream, um, which is a, after I listened, did this podcast shortly thereafter, I had to go get an ice cream, um, uh, with uh, the Bowhill blueberry flavor, but, um, you've seen them in the grocery stores. You've seen them around. You've heard their names. You've maybe even done like the you pick, um, so they've been around the block. Um, they took over in 2020, um, so fairly recently, and they hit some adversity right off the bat, and so you're going to hear about that as well. Um, but um, yeah, they just continued to grow it and move forward, and so I'm excited that I got to have them on the podcast. And um, yeah, without further ado, here is my conversation with Audrey Matheson. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of The Command of Voice. Today, I'm here with one of the founders of Bow Hill Blueberries. Welcome to the podcast, Audrey Matheson. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about Audrey. Well, um, I, my husband and I live in um, West Seattle. Uh, we recently moved in 2017 up to the Seattle area from um, Northern California. Okay. And um, we bought a fixer-upper there. So a lot about me is a lot about home projects right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Very cool. Um, Where did you grow up? Um, So my brother and I, we grew up in Northern California. Okay. um, In the Sierra Valley. Okay. And so it was very rural, ranches on either side of us. Um, Our family had about five acres and we had chickens and a huge kitchen garden and um the mountains right behind us nice uh it was a great childhood of like being outside yep very cool (laughs) so then um did you stay there throughout all high school and stuff like that then um we actually moved to the bay area when um i was starting high school and my brother was starting um middle well i guess he was in fifth grade, um, so almost middle school. Okay, nice. Yeah. Did growing up in that environment, is um, like at that time, was it something, was farming and all that something that you guys had thought about, or was it just, it was kind of your life during that time? Um, it wasn't It wasn't necessarily something that we thought about. It was just kind of the, the rural lifestyle of growing a lot of what you're eating and seeing like your neighbors um be contributors to like the food system Mm -hmm. um you know getting invited down to the neighbors to milk cows and um (laughs) slaughter uh steers and things like that yeah (laughs) that's not part of a typical childhood I guess right yeah (laughs) so when you guys moved to the bay area then did you kind of did you guys still have a like a small like little garden or anything you know, my my parents always uh, had chickens. So okay. even in um, the suburbs of uh, the Bay Area, we had, um, I think, 12, at least 12 hens. Okay. Um, and fresh eggs and having them out in the yard. Yeah. So, yeah. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. So then, um, uh, then as you were graduating high school, what were you kind of looking at for your career path? I honestly was interested in a lot of things. Like education was one that I was looking into, um, learning more about like what a career would be in um, as a teacher or in the nonprofit sector was mm-hmm. definitely something that I was looking to go into. Okay. At that time. Yeah. yeah. So did you end up going uh, to school for that then? You know, I once I got to college, I um, and actually my brother uh, also had the same major. We were both poli sci majors okay. um, at different schools nice. um, at different times. But um, I just got really interested in uh, learning about like the history of um, other countries and different um, governmental structures and um, how that like plays into everyday life yeah yeah so was that something uh that you were doing on just on the side or or with your major yeah so as a poli-sci major I also was really interested in like what 
uh, non-governmental groups were doing Mm -hmm. to sort of impact um, people's lives. And um, so that's kind of where my education steered me. So my first job was in the nonprofit sector once I graduated from college. Okay. Um, And like since graduating, I looked into more educational opportunities to learn about nonprofit management and um, something more specific in that career path. Yeah. Was there something, was there a specific sector? Um, Because obviously nonprofits span a very large, uh, you know, span of all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, Was there a certain kind of focus that you had? I was really interested in, um, like, sustainability Mm -hmm. and um, environmental nonprofits, um, things that were actually involved food a lot. Um, Okay. So that kind of was steering me in that direction of, like, what sort of impact that I could make either in the nonprofit sector or possibly, like, with a nonprofit centered around um, farming or gardening. Yeah. Okay. So then what was the nonprofit that you uh, started working with then? Um, I started out at uh, Universal Giving. They're, they were kind of, um, they came up around this, sort of the same time as Global Giving, which is the one that people pretty, like, know more about. Um, but just that intersection of, like, uh, the new, like, online landscape and how uh, nonprofits can get matched with volunteers or donors yep. um, on that on that level. Yeah. So, so then how did, um, uh, when you were doing this, was this something, did you continue on with them uh, as you were doing your other, uh, you said you went to get more education in nonprofit and all that stuff? Yeah, it was, um, I graduated college around the time, like shortly after, like we as a country went into like the housing crisis and um, everything. Okay the housing bubble and um, the recession. So it was a difficult time for, like, n- being in the nonprofit sector, for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess while I was at that first job, I was really inspired by specifically nonprofits doing things with um, gardening or farming um, and how that was, like, impacting people. Okay. Um, so after... I um, quit that job. I, I really started to think about like what I could do in that space. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Were you still in the Bay Area during this time then? Yeah. Okay. Uh, that nonprofit was in San Francisco. Okay. Um, so uh, still in the Bay Area, um, and then um, I lived in uh, Monterey and Santa Cruz, my okay. husband and I, for uh, quite a while. Yeah. Um, so got involved in. Some other nonprofits like Eco Farm, um, they put on like the largest uh, like conference um, for uh, organic farmers and organic producers and ranchers um, in January every year. Um, so okay. I began volunteering with them. Um, I was involved with Slow Food um, Santa Cruz. Oh yeah. Organizing for um, their. Uh, edible garden tour um so i'm still involved in slow food uh up here in seattle as well um, i'm on the board okay so awesome so i think uh, my wife was just telling me a little bit about this concept because um, she's actually reading a book on it right now but mm-hmm. um for those of our listeners who don't have an idea of that can you kind of dive into that a little bit like what's the idea behind slow food and, and all of that um it's i think it sort of began with like a rejection of like more fast food, like, sort of invading everybody's life, um, (laughs) and, you know, just, like, taking some of that power back and saying, like, what's the ways that I can incorporate, um, slowness when it comes to, like, choosing what, what foods I'm eating, Mm -hmm. maybe growing some of what I'm eating, um, yeah. Okay, nice. So how has that played out? Because it, it, it started kind of in the Bay Area, right? It, or in California. I forget um, where. I think actually it, Slow Food is um, started in Italy. Italy, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it grew into, um, it has a national um, 
nonprofit in the in the U.S. now too. Okay. There's Slow Food International, and it Got all it. began in Italy. It's kind of like a rejection of McDonald's and things invading. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cool. So, what do you? What does the one in Seattle base? What's its kind of focus of being in there? Um, we're really a lot of what we do is. Um, education and providing people with opportunities to learn more about local and sustainable food. Um, right now, we're really working on um, getting like a, the snail of approval program um, up and running in Seattle. Um, so okay. getting applications in from different uh, food businesses or farms um, to sort of celebrate like what people are doing um, to uh, promote local and good, clean, fair food for all. That's what the mission statement of okay. food is. Nice. Yeah. yeah. What What's that involved in then for, or for like a restaurant doing that? What does that involve for them? Like how do they have to, what, what are the steps they have to take to work towards that? Um, well, it's just kind of taking each of those sort of categories um, and looking at uh, what they're doing as far as clean, which usually means organic or um, like regenerative uh, ingredients. Okay. Um, taking a look at how they're taking care of their people and their business. Um, and good is obviously a little subjective, but it's like celebration of all different types of food and yeah. um, celebrations of culture and things like that. Nice. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, so, um, so you guys said you still live, you, or I guess what kind of brought you guys up to uh, Washington then? Cause you guys had had your family and everything down in California. Yeah. Um, so my husband's brother, uh, and his wife, um, have lived in Seattle for a while so they were up here and then um, my sister-in-law Ezra's wife Emma uh, she is Canadian but she grew up in Bellingham okay so after Ezra and Emma got married um, they moved up here as well so um, we felt like we kind of wanted to be near family so we sort of followed suit and then shortly after that my parents moved up to Bellingham nice so we're all here now. <laughs> very cool. That makes that easier. Yeah. <laughs> so, very cool. So then, um, with moving up here, then, uh, uh, are, are you full time like with the nonprofit, or are you just kind of on the board of that? Oh, I'm a, yeah. I'm just I'm on the board of Slow Food Seattle, um, and full time at the farm, um, doing marketing and social media, um, and really as a small business owner <laughs> yeah. doing everything yes. um, as well. Like, so Ezra and Emma um, are also full time at the farm. Okay. Emma's more like operations and um, Ezra's the full time farmer. Um, and then the goal is to, my husband works as a uh, sports uh, journalist, page designer, editor. Okay. Um, so he gets to work from home right now, um, which is great. But uh, eventually we hope to have space for all of us at the farm nice. and in the business. Yeah. So what kind of led you guys? Because you guys, I'm, I'm, as we're going through your story, I'm like, what was the point that, like, was Ezra always interested in farming? Or was, how did this all kind of come about? Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, after we were both done with college and I was living in Santa Cruz and he was in the Bay Area in Oakland, um, we decided to take uh, an intensive um, like agroecology gardening program um, at UC Santa Cruz together. Okay. Um, he had just like come back from a sort of like grad program that took him to... Um, Palestine and the Middle East, and he had done like a project there uh, that was involving um, farmers and uh, uh, I can't remember the name of what this the system is where you're taking like waste and making it into energy. Okay. Um, 
Uh, it'll come to me, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you're um, good. But uh, so he had just finished up a project and yeah. came back, and we took that class together, and um, we just like talked a lot about like hopefully maybe in the future sometime doing something in um, the sustainable food uh, area, um, not really knowing what it would be. Yeah. Um, so we've always been kind of on the lookout for something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So so, um, uh, so then how did you guys hear about Bow Hill or like how did this, how did the land and all that come sure. into play? Um, so Emma's dad actually, he's always a very like on the lookout for new projects um, <laughs> and he was looking through the real estate listings and he found that and sent it to all of us and um, we all kind of sat down and were like, hmm, this is a very interesting opportunity. Um, you know, it's 2020, we're in the middle of a pandemic, there's a lot of changes. I feel like a lot of people sort of had that quiet time mm-hmm. to think about what's important and what they want, what they want to do next. Yeah. And um, we just kind of took a leap and like decided to put in an offer. Um, the The business itself was really interesting. The farm um, was obviously beautiful and like. I, I don't know what's cuter than a blueberry. So <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Yeah. So, um, so w- did you say that this was during the pandemic then? Mm-hmm. Okay. So when did you guys yeah. officially um, purchase the business? Then? Um, we officially purchased the business in November, 2020. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then it, we got some mentorship from the previous owners, um, over like a month or so, um, which was really great to have, uh, and um, then it was just kind of a, a pretty steep learning curve from there, yeah. you know, that's still <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys are pretty fresh in this still. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, was, uh, what was Ezra doing then during this time before you guys ended up buying the farm? Yeah, so he was, um, he and Emma were basically renovating their house in Bellingham, um, Ezra had previously uh, helped my parents. They basically, my parents have always been um, rehabbers and kind of, um, I wouldn't say flippers. I don't think my mom would like that very much because she takes (laughs) everything like design and all of that into consideration. But she uh, and my dad have always like done fixer-upper projects and they did a house in the Bay Area from like the ground up and my brother was involved in that, so we learned a lot about construction and um, plumbing and electrical and all of those things. Yes. So he kind of took that um, to uh, the house that uh, Emma and himself had bought in Bellingham. Okay. So Nice. So they, they were just kind of getting done with like, that project? Getting done with it, so selling it. Um, so we were kind of in a space where we could take advantage of an opportunity like this. So. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So was there something, uh, so you guys hadn't been really like looking for something. It kind of, your sounds like Emma's father had kind of just been looking around and found something and kind yeah. of off a whim and then kind mm-hmm. of built from there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think with, with the pandemic, um, Emma, Emma's job had sort of um, been phased out. Um, okay. I myself was let go from my job that I had in Seattle at the time um, because of the pandemic. Yeah. So a lot of things were changing and like it didn't seem, I guess, as intimidating or scary to like start something new because, you know. <laughs> everything yeah, was yeah, new at this yeah, point? everything's new. So. Yeah. So then um, had you, at your previous jobs then, had you started kind of working in like the marketing department and stuff had you started building skill set in that yeah definitely I think at each of my jobs I had been like so at small nonprofits, I'd been involved in really like all of the hats mm-hmm. um and I think that was really helpful um at my previous job in Seattle I was the operations manager for um a organic skincare company okay um but as that was also a small family business. Yeah. Um, so 
you kind of get experience in all of the different areas, which yeah. um, is exciting to me. Like yeah. I, I like to to learn new things all the time. So. Yes, <laughs> and you will in business. Yes, <laughs> continue to each day. Yes, well, and that's I think the there are different people that are cut out for different types of um, positions or different companies and things like that. Like mm-hmm. I, my background is mechanical engineering, so I okay. worked with. That's the same as my sister-in-law, Emma. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I worked with, like, companies like Boeing um, or things like that. These giants that these people that are working in them, they know what they're going to get. Every day they know what their work is. They come up, you know, yeah. and they, mm-hmm. they, they enjoy that because then they get to focus on everything else that's sure. going on in their yeah. life. Um, but I remember being like, okay, there needs to be something, like, is there something, a new project or something to jump on? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, my dad's always been a serial entrepreneur, and so awesome. uh, finally, after a few years and five years in the engineering field, joined up with him on some projects and was like, okay, now it's like, that was like going from like very straightforward to very dynamic and nothing is ever the same. <laughs> yeah. But um, I enjoyed it. I kind of enjoyed that, uh, having all of that going on. And so. Yeah, it's, it's great. It keeps you... Young, I guess. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, very cool. So then, um, so do you commute up to the farm every day or, or mainly Not work Not every home? day. I'm definitely um, at the farm a couple days a week and I stay there. Um, so I'm not commuting back and forth. Um, and uh, we're entering into harvest. So um, Andrew has taken some time off of his um, day job and we're all going to be there at the farm pretty much um, for six weeks okay. straight <laughs> Wow! while we get the harvest in. So, okay. Yeah. Nice. And then um, do you guys, uh, is that, I, I'm terribly uneducated when it comes to farming and stuff like that. Um, do blueberries, are they handpicked or do you guys have some it's, machinery tools? It's a combination. Um, so anything that we're going to sell fresh or um, frozen uh, to consumers is going to be hand-picked. Okay. So we do have professional pickers that have been doing this a long time um, and are very fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, they do hand-pick um, on our farm. And then we also have um, a harvester, which is an over-the-row harvester. So okay. it's kind of cool. It goes the rows in between and then it goes like along the row over the top and sort of tickles the, <laughs> the bushes okay and um, the berries fall into these cups that bring them up to the the lugs okay so nice and those that would be the berries that we're going to be using for um our value add products mostly okay yeah nice well and so when you guys were kind of looking at the bow hill because i think um, I mean, I think a lot of people, especially in this area, would recognize the Bow Hill Blueberry name because you guys are in yeah. stores. You're mm-hmm. in um, because you guys have such a varied product line. Yeah. Um, when you guys were kind of looking at the the farm and the business and everything, what was kind of like? Did you get to talk to the owners about like uh, how they kind of came up with some of these things and and how to continue them on and all that? Yeah. Um. And they um. They did a great job of developing the product line that's that we basically inherited, and they worked with um, a food scientist in Seattle to develop like the low sugar um, blueberry confiture um, and uh, the pickles. Um, so we did have discussions with them about like the possibilities of what new products could be, um, and I think as we have sort of sat with everything um we definitely want to be very like intentional about like what we do next with yeah. products and if we're going to add anything um I think because of our smaller scale like unless we were to get another like 40 acres of blueberry somehow like we want to like celebrate the berries that we have in the best way possible. And I think, um, sometimes that comes with less is more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, for sure. And we have, um, we actually carry the, uh, Lopez Island creamery, the Bohill blueberry ice cream. And I remember the first time trying that because I, blueberry ice cream is not like a 
common flavor. Yeah. You know, it's not one of your normal ones you get. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember having it the first time, I was like, wow, this is like an amazing ice cream because, I mean, Lopez does such a great job with they all do. of their processes. Mm-hmm. And, um, and just, it's so cool to have like a local, you know, ice cream offering. Yeah. Um, we definitely get people into the farm store all the time or like stop you at the farmer's market and make sure that they, they get some of that ice cream because it is, it's super delicious and I think it really celebrates like the ingredients that go into it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. So then, um, how has, uh, cause I, I've been talking with different farmers and stuff, uh, from this year, how has, you know, we've kind of had a slower, like colder spring and everything. How has mm-hmm. that kind of affected you guys and the, the farming community that you guys are connected to? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a lot different from um, our first harvest and our first year um, growing the blueberries. Uh, For example, like we started harvesting July 17th, I want to say, last year. Okay. And we're just going to be starting to harvest um, today. Okay. um, This year. So definitely pushes back the harvest. um, And uh, really during the springtime, you're looking for at least some like non-windy, semi-sunny weather mm-hmm. for the bees to want to come out and do the pollination that has to right. happen is with our blueberries. Um, so we didn't really get as as great of a pollination period as we did um, the previous year. So okay. that obviously affects um, a lot of of gardeners and farmers. Um, and what they're able to to get um, as far as when it comes to the harvest. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we've heard a lot of things from other farmer friends that, you know, the the cold and the wet, had, they've had to, like, restart um, their plant starts, oh, wow. delay putting things in the ground because it's too wet and you don't want to be, like, going out there with a the tractor because you're just going to get stuck. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um that like those um, mold and like fungal diseases mm-hmm. really um, are uh, more prevalent when you don't get that spring warmth right. that you're used to. So yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it's, it's so crazy. Like I, I think I probably say this to all the farmers I've interviewed or spoken with, mm-hmm. but like farming is such a like. I talked to one farmer and he said, you have to be an optimist to be a farmer because like you have to put in all of this work up front, but then whether it does well or not, isn't even based on you. You have to do your part, but then you're based on weather and all the other factors and market value and all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of that you can't control. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. So, um, most people I think have seen a lot of your different products, but just so people are aware of them, what are kind of your different, I mean, apart from just blueberries, what are kind of your product offerings that you guys have? Yeah, so I think um, probably one that maybe people have come across either like in PCC or Hagen is um, our, our juice. Mm-hmm. It's our 100% blueberry juice, cold pressed. Um, and that's definitely one of the things that... Um, before we bought the farm, we were like tasting a bunch of different blueberry juice, and there's not a ton out there that's yeah. organic um, and 100% blueberry. Uh, and even before we bought the farm, we we're like, this is an exceptional juice. Like it's very different than what's already out there. So yeah. that was intriguing. Yeah. Awesome. What what other things do you, you mention the uh, confiture, right? Yeah, the confiture is um, kind of a French style low sugar preserve um, with our blueberries and this um, for 2022 we just won a good food award for that product very Um, cool congratulations thank you Um, it's a lot of people really love that jam and I am one of them I think it's really (laughs) really like subtle and celebrates the blueberries and so yeah so we've got that, and we've got um, our heirloom pickled blueberries, which uh, have converted a lot of, like, trepidatious pickle people. <laughs> you know, I love to see people taste it um, for the first time because they're very unsure of, like, what this is going to taste like. Yeah, and I can't even imagine right now <laughs> what that would be like. 
And it just like walks that line of like sweet and savory and you can use it um, in a more savory way or even put it on like ice cream. Like Frankie and Joe's um, kind of took that uh, inspiration and uh, they uh, have our blueberries in their seasonal flavor. That's pickled blueberry ice cream that they have in their stores right now. Okay. Um, which I think is delicious. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's a really cool, like, interesting product. Yeah. Um, um, and then to go along with our juice, we have our um, blueberry powder, which uh, is actually, like, a no-waste product because when we cold-press our juice, uh, we take the pulp and dehydrate it and mill it for the powder. So okay. there's less sugar in there, um, but all of the fiber and the nutrition that comes from the skins of the blueberries. Wow. that's essentially where all of the the nutrition is in in blueberries and in a lot of um like fruits and vegetables actually yeah okay very cool and what do for the powder is it just like a nutritional thing like do you just throw it in like a shake or something if you were making it yeah it has like a subtle like blueberry flavor um a little sweetness um I personally bake with it a lot, but yeah, people throw it in smoothies and overnight oats, and um, I like to put it in like pancakes and waffles. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah, um, I've even put it in like veggie chili. Uh, it gives like a little sweetness to the yeah. spice. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Nice. So then, um, so you guys have all the different um, blueberry style products and stuff, and you've mentioned that you don't really want to add a new product unless you have a real intention or purpose for it. Yeah. Um, I think one of the first things we were thinking about is because of the process of um, cold pressing our juice, we do have a ton of pulp and and powder. And besides selling that as a product, I think um, I'm just like putting this out in the universe. Maybe it it will happen, like get some collaborators on this. but doing like a Skagit uh, pancake mix with, ah. with the blueberry powder and some of the local um, wheat and yes. um, grains that we have here. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah, which would be really cool. That'd be great. <laughs> It'd be a healthy pancake. Too. Yeah, a healthy pancake. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So then, um, like, like we mentioned, you're pretty fresh into all of this then. Um, what are just so far some of the biggest lessons you guys have already learned about the farm and stuff uh, since taking over? Hmm. I don't know. I think that um, we we had to sort of face like adversity right away, kind of like eleven months or ten months into owning the farm. We had a, a fire in our production facility, oh. and so like just kind of being able to take the time and um, be intentional again about like what we bring back and like how we bring it back. Yeah. Um, But it just kind of uh, blew up the entire like way of, things were done on the farm not having that facility and having to figure out like how can we still make our products and um how are we going to run like this business going forward yeah i don't think it's something that any like small business owner really wants to deal with in like (laughs) the first 11 months (laughs) but you know things things happen in life and you have to figure out how to deal with them yeah yeah in an intentional way so yeah what was that for you guys what did that feel I just I can't imagine like what that must have felt like for you guys of just seeing that during that happened and then afterwards just like sitting in that yeah I think I mean there was a lot of gratitude that no one was hurt Mm -hmm. and like we still have all of our blueberries and um but I think you kind of you kind of sit in that like devastation for a little bit, yeah. and then you um, have to figure out what to do next. And I think um, there's an importance in like 
feeling all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think, um, you know, as you guys are stepping into this as business owners now, like you have this, this piece to you of, you always have this almost like you've already burned the boats. Like you have to move forward. <laughs> sure. There's sure. not this choice of like, well, I guess I got to go get another job or like, like you're, yeah. you're here. Mm-hmm. We're here. We're committed to it. Um, we think that like, um, there's an opportunity to, you know, make things the way that we would do things. I, I know that in life it's like, very hard sometimes to get off of something that's like already moving forward in a certain way Um, and so yeah it just kind of gave us that pause I don't think I would recommend it but (laughs) (laughs) it did give us a pause um, and like to reevaluate things yeah yeah well we were um, so my wife and I I mean I had been working in the business prior to um, but we officially closed on this business uh, at the end of 2019, so November of 2019, and then rolled into 2020. We're like, okay, this yeah. is going to be a good year. We're going to get started. And um, it was a little bit like that, especially being retail, like, you know, retail yeah. was all shut down. And um, But it was kind of going through those steps of like, okay, like we've made the decision. We're here, so we've got to make the best of what we're in. So what can we do? Yeah. Um, because you don't have that decision to back out and just walk away. Right, right. <laughs> so. And I think, luckily, I'm sure that, like, you have people that, like, are supporting you along the way. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's always helpful to have, like, those outside people that are, right. like, pushing you forward. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and I think the... Helping s- you pivot. <laughs> yes. And I, I think Skagit has this, because um, we saw that locally... Uh, Kameno really had it as well of the community surrounded the small business community, the people and really yeah. supported them in whatever ways they could. Uh, you know, they're, they were stuck at home too. So, you know, we did phone orders. We did, you know, pick up outside. We even made a few deliveries and, you know, you, yeah. but the community really was there to say, mm-hmm. you know, we're still here with you. Yeah. I think that's really special about this area. Um, it seems like a lot of people are really committed to local and um, local food and local entrepreneurs. So it doesn't seem like it's like anyone's in competition with each other. It's yeah. all like, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to make this happen? So. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, all right. So then uh, how, what do you guys see as kind of the future for the farm then? Uh, I think the future of the farm is sort of, it's pulling on, like, a lot of our previous experiences, um, wanting to make the farm a place of, uh, where it's providing, like, education to people, education to customers, education to people that want to come take a farm tour and learn more about, um, blueberries or, um, organic agriculture, Mm -hmm. so... I think um, that's one of the things that we definitely want to focus on in the future as well as um, continuing to to steward these plants that are actually, like, some of them are turning 75 this year. Wow. So, cool. Um, they're, they're old and they're still going. Um, so it's a celebration. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Well, we like to end every podcast with some rapid-fire questions. Okay. So the first one is, what purchase of $100 or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? Um, I love vintage things and thrifting things, so it's kind of a tie between um, a thrifted, like, button-up top that I bought um, from a friend who does, like, a vintage uh, pop-up. Um, or this, um, Emma and I went into Penny Lane Antiques up in Bellingham and, uh, we both found this snail, um, planter, um, and I'm super excited to put a plant in it. So. (laughs) Very cool. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Uh, this is sort of a hard question. Um, I think I'm inspired by a lot of people that, like, have um, passion for for what they're doing. Like, 
I think I would say like Jose Andreas um, of World Central Kitchen um, is really inspiring. Um, someone like Alexis, uh, I don't know if you've uh, followed the Black Forager on Instagram, uh-uh. but um, she just won like a James Beard Award. Um, but she is really passionate about uh, foraging and like bringing that education to people about like what's around them. Um, what you can eat out there. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> so. Yeah. My wife does a lot of, um, she, you know, she homeschools our, our four kids. And so we've got, um, she does a lot of like research on, uh, she's grown up going through nature and kind of seeing the plants you're able to eat and all mm-hmm. the different things you can do. Yeah. Um, she's done herbal things and, um, so, but me, I, on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know if you can eat that or not. And so anytime <laughs> my kid has a berry, I'm like, don't eat that. They're like, no, it's okay. It's a da da da. I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> well, so. her tagline always in her videos is like, have fun, don't die. Yes. <laughs> Which is hilarious to me. But it's sort of like, in it brings me back to my childhood of like, having um, parents that wanted to give us a connection to like the place that we lived. So they, this was the 80s and 90s. So yes. we had to like carry the identification books on hikes and things like that building character you know like (laughs) learning those things out in nature yes (laughs) very cool all right this is a fill in the blank question uh i know this is weird but i've always wanted to blank um i'm not sure how weird it is but um i definitely wanted to try um the i think it's parasailing um what they do like off of sort of the oyster dome. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, we've seen people like floating by the farm and landing. That's just seems like something that I really want to try. <laughs> okay. <laughs> do, you, do you have a fear of heights or any of that? No. Um, Ezra and I actually, we just talked about like our experience. We went um, skydiving together. Um, a family friend was like really into it and he'd done it like hundreds of times. So he took us um, in the Central Valley of California. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna say like I would do it again necessarily, but it was an awesome experience. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Um, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? Well, there's so many interesting people in this area. Like I was thinking about um, our. Um, farm manager at the farm he and his wife Mara um, Silva have um, their own farm business uh, Silva Family Farms um, out in Oak Harbor and they also have uh, land uh, at Viva Farms Um, and they are like incredible people they have so much like knowledge about plants and growing things um, and picking like the most delicious varieties so they're very cool and interesting people. Um, uh, Christy at Junebug Ferments, she's doing really cool things with fermented, like, probiotic um, drinks and krauts. And then there's Rachel at um, Water Tank Bakery. She's, like, right next door to Karen Spring Mill. Okay. Um, so she's using a lot of lo- local ingredients in her uh, really delicious breads, so... Nice. Those are just some people, I guess. <laughs> Perfect. That's great. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Um, I think that uh, this is sort of, I think, advice that you get all throughout your life. But um, I think you kind of have to keep reminding yourself of, like, tomorrow's not promised. Mm-hmm. And um, you kind of have to, like, keep in the now because I think we spend a lot of time especially like in your 20s I think you're like thinking ahead so much yeah that you're not like in the moment right so yeah I think that's what I would say yeah that's very (laughs) cool so there was one more thing normally that's where I end but there's one more thing that I wanted to touch on because you mentioned it so many times at the podcast and I think it's really neat um uh, just to talk about real quick you and Ezra's relationship uh, as brother and sister because Mm -hmm. I don't think every 
brother and sister would be <laughs> up for going into business with each other. So how sure. has that kind of evolved over time? Were, were you always close friends as kids? We were definitely, like, always close friends as kids. I think um, growing up in a rural area where we had the brother and sister that lived down the street as um, the, on the ranch um, next door, but really, like, we were there's not a lot of people around so you yeah. kind of have to forge that friendship um which is i think really helpful to have um in in adult life you yeah know? um but yeah we've always been close and like interested in um similar things um and uh enjoy each other's company so yeah that's very yeah. cool. That's very cool that you guys have that relationship. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. And lastly, tell the listeners where they can find you. Sure. Um, well, we're heading into harvest, so we will be at our usual Seattle um, farmer's markets um, at the University District um, on Saturdays and Ballard on um, Sundays with Fresh and, like, all of our value-added products mm -hmm. um, and our farm store is going to be open a wider range of hours during harvest too so um, people can stop by Monday like seven days a week and get some fresh blueberries oh nice yeah um, so and I think we should be um, heading back into some more wholesale like in PCC and Hagen um, sometime soon so Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It was really my pleasure. It was really fun. Awesome. <laughs> All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Audrey Matheson for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to tomatocommons.com slash podcast. That's tomatocommons.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening in.